Welcome to the Whole Point Podcast, all about guest conversations and our personal thoughts about big ideas that will elevate your life and change your mind. We're talking about how to bring them into your business, your family, and your real life, and what that looks like day to day on any random Tuesday. I'm Christy Bartelt, a quirky, wise mentor helping women confidently love themselves and change their lives and their minds. I'm Serena Talbot, and I'm passionate about helping people heal and accomplish their goals, bringing spirituality and intuition into the process so that people can move forward with the life they are created to live. Thanks for joining us. Do you you agree to being recorded, Serena? I agree. Do you agree, Serena, to starting the podcast again? I'm so excited. I am too. Okay. So welcome everybody to the Whole Point Podcast. We've been gone for a while, but we're back. (laughs) We took a hiatus basically for what, a year plus some months, right? What does it feel like to you? feels happy. I feel really happy right now. But how long does it feel like we've been gone? right now forever it feels like forever really mm-hmm. I'm just, it feels like nothing like oh I love that I mean it's well, both, you right? know what's interesting it's we continued to meet the whole time you and I it's not yeah. as if we weren't the only thing we weren't doing was recording <laughs> publishing yeah. things so I guess it feels like forever since we've recorded which yeah. feels a little formal to me almost like putting on a prom dress instead of like my yoga pants <laughs> yeah it has been, it has been forever, but it's like, you know, when you talk to a friend and you haven't talked to him for a long time and then you're like, dude, just pick up. Oh yeah. Right back in. I hope, I hope that's how you feel listening. <laughs> yeah. We're excited. You know, it's funny because we had been talking about coming back and doing the show for a few weeks, maybe even a couple months now. I can't remember when it first started, you know, percolating. Well, I was and- always like, are we still not making it? Like, are we still not making it? Like, you I'm know, like, yeah, no, we're still not making it. <laughs> well, and it was, it was like, I would, I would check in with you and also with me and be like, no, like not yet. And then, you know, obviously maybe not ever we kind of let go of whatever mm-hmm. it was going to be. But, but lately, yeah. Like you said, the last few weeks, like, yes. And then not only that, but then people started talking about the podcast, like, or it was cropping up, you know, for you, you'd see things. And I was hearing from people like, Hey, I love your podcast. You're going to make me more. And I hadn't heard people say that in months. So it was mm-hmm. definitely everything, you know, starts showing up in your life, which actually leads into what we're going to be talking about today. Here's how we chose our topic today, folks. I feel really fired up about this today and therefore we're going to talk about it. So we are going to talk about whether or not you are feeding the monster, the belief monster, the thought monster, I don't know, any kind of monster that you have, but that's where we're headed today. And the reason this came up is I've been really conscious for myself lately of making sure I'm feeding the beliefs that I want and then basically starving the beliefs that I'm letting go of. Mm-hmm. And I think because it's been such a, you know, somewhere I'm putting kind of a little bit of pressure and intention in my life that I'm just noticing around me where it kind of is like a addiction to feed that monster, that old monster, even if we don't like it. Well, scientifically it is an addiction, right? We can be addicted to anger or self-pity or sadness, or to me, it's this idea of, are you empowered or disempowered? Every, every thought is making you feel empowered or disempowered. 
And obviously, if we have things in our past where we were accurately 100% really disempowered, it becomes a habit. Habit of thought creates the chemical reactions in your body, right? If you're angry, you're going to get a hit of adrenaline. You're going to get a hit of cortisol. And that's actually energizing and it's actually addicting. And we can get addicted to any feeling because our body wants consistency. Yeah. And so you actually, your thought sends a message to your mitochondria in your cell, which is insane. A little part of your cell that produces the chemical reactions and it will produce. That's why when you think about a lemon, your little mitochondria get busy and they produce saliva. There is no lemon. You just thought about it. And then you produced saliva, which is very simple, but that's frigging like, that's incredible. But we do the same thing. It's all in your mind. Whatever you are angry about or whatever you're feeling disempowered about, whatever you're feeling like they're the bad guys and I never win about or whatever it is, there's no situation actually happening, you know, at your kitchen table or in your bedroom, (laughs) but your mind doesn't care. It's creating those chemicals in your body as if it's actually happening. So it is addictive. And the good news is we can make peace and empowerment and calm tranquility. We can make all those things. I like tranquility. (laughs) I have to also add though, sometimes the thing is actually there. Like it's there and you're finding evidence. You're like, yeah, that person is actually really rude to me or mean to me. Mm, yes. And the interesting thing there is you're still picking up what agrees with your monster, your belief about yourself to feed that. Oh, yep. There it is there. Yep. That's true. I mean, it's true. Legitimately people could be, you could be in a relationship with somebody who is not respectful and they talk to you that way, whether you've trained each other in that, whatever it is. But what happens when we're trying to change that, some people are like, yeah, but that's not real yet. The difference isn't real yet. I'm like, well, make it real then. Where is that part? Where's your partner being respectful to you? Are you, are you noticing any of that? Are you open to seeing that and reinforcing that part? Because, or where are you being disrespectful to yourself so that you can focus on being respectful to yourself so you even know what it looks like? Because the whole idea is, I mean, as a concept, like an overarching concept that helps me think about this is you have two choices. Once you've become aware about something you want to change where you're like, I don't like this. This isn't great. It's for whatever reason, it's not working. Okay. So now I'm aware of it. What's the, what do I want? Most people don't go there because we're not trained to go there. Like, what would I like to have happen? Figure out that. So you have basically two things. Now there's this thing that I don't like. And the thing that I do want And then figure out what's going to feed the thing you do want and cut off all nourishment to the other, whether it's really still happening, you're cutting it off. Nope. Not even going to, I'm not even going to put my attention there. I'm going to keep putting my attention to where, okay, I'll be respectful to myself, which guess what that would mean. If you're in a crappy relationship, walking away, moving away from a conversation that doesn't suit you instead of being like, Oh, here it is just nourishing the old belief. You're like, Oh, I don't like this. Let me nourish that new belief, which is that I can get up and walk out of this. Exactly. And that's the thing is when I'm saying we're creating it in our head, even in that moment, we are creating in our head what the situation means. Yes. And it's the meaning I'm disempowered or I can be empowered, right? So I'm not saying we make up everything in our heads, 
but we make up our responses in our heads, mm-hmm. right? To whatever situation. If I'm angry, I will find reasons to be angry where someone who's not addicted to anger will look at the same exact situation and they won't be angry, right? And it's the same with this, like you're saying, in, in the relationship, are they treating me badly? So in that situation, if you're addicted to being treated badly, and I know that sounds horrible, but if it's a habit to be disempowered, right. if it's a habit to think I don't have any recourse, if it's a habit to think, oh, this is just the way it is, if it's a habit to think I don't have any options, then in those situations, you won't. And so you will feel disempowered. And to Chrissy's point, in that same situation, if you say I'm empowered, okay, what would I like to have happen? And what does it look like for me to be empowered? You're becoming addicted. You're become, you're training your mind to create different feelings, right? Walking away is a different feeling than staying and taking words that hurt you or, or being quiet instead of saying, hey, we need to have a conversation about this. So our responses are habits and we can choose to respond in a different way. It's, it's kind of wild because at the less nuanced level, this is where you can get like that idea of toxic positivity or, you know, just like fake it till you make it kind of stuff, which is actually part of this. Like it really is. Those things actually have value, but we want to take this out of this unnuanced discussion, which is exactly where we're headed, what we've already said, but I I need to, it's almost like I want to hit the nail on the head here. Some people go, but the thing is still real. I, I can't let it go if it's still there. And that is what we're addicted to. That's the disempowerment. Like if you are having any of those thoughts as you listen to this, if you're thinking I don't have money in the bank, I've always had this terrible relationship with my parents, partner, kids, whatever it is, that right there, that's the addictive help. Maybe helplessness is a familiar feeling in your body. That's the thing you have to become aware of and you don't want to feed it anymore. Once you, it's, it's almost like levels, like, oh, here it is. I don't like the situation. Well, what's the feeling under it? That's the thing that my body keeps saying, oh, this is so familiar. Here it is. And this is what we do. And that's the place where you have to know, oh, here it is. This is where self-love comes in, right? So it makes this easier. We don't punish ourselves for having addicted feelings. We go, oh, of course they were adaptive at some point. At some point feeling helpless. So we didn't fight somebody was probably really helpful to us, kept us alive, kept us loved but that's not the case anymore. It's that point where you go, oh, great. I don't actually need this anymore. I love myself that I used to do this. And now I'm making a choice to not feed that monster anymore. What monster do I want to feed? The one that's actually taking me where I'd like to go. Well, and it's, I think that's the process of reparenting. So at some point in the past, we had the situation, we were disempowered because we were 10 or we were seven or we were 12, or maybe we were 20, you know, in this relationship and we had no skills and no ability. And so we've, we've downloaded that program. And at some point we, we wake up and we go, this isn't serving me anymore. And we have to take, make, make these changes to being empowered and what is empowered look like, you know, what is being empowered with my money look like? And, and the compact, there has to be so much compassion here. That's why I love the idea of calling it, you know, self parenting, Mm -hmm. 
when, when you have a child and they're feeling disempowered, I can't do it. I don't know what to do. You, you comfort them. You don't go, well, here's a book on money, moron, you know, (laughs) you comfort them and you go, of course you were making those decisions. There's no shame. We're going to start new today. And here's, we're going to do this together and let's learn this together. And that might mean if you're terrible with money, you hire a coach, you read a book, you reparent yourself, meaning you take responsibility mm-hmm. and, and, this, and action, not just comfort. It's comfort plus action, action, right? Yeah. This is, this is the thing where there, there is this nuance. You're not just being toxic positivity where you stay crappy with money and you don't right. take any action and you don't learn anything, but you just go, it's okay. I love myself. It's okay. Right. So I mean, that's a great place to start, but it's not going to actually move you anywhere. <laughs> oh, this is, this is a really, this is really powerful because this is where shame can come in. Yeah. This is where shame can come into that moment. So here's the deal. You wake up and you look at reality. So maybe you've had your eyes closed. You're a hot mess, but you've had your eyes closed (laughs) and you've been blaming other people. Like my husband's a jerk. I mean, hello. Thank you. Very guilty of this. And you, so you, you have this, your eyes open. Mm -hmm. And when our eyes open two things happen, we realize it's our responsibility. We've made a mess and those things are all really hard. And you can get into a shame spiral in that moment and beat yourself up. But as you open your eyes, you realize I have choices. I got myself into this. I can get myself out of it. I'm not a kid anymore. Even if I didn't get myself into all these programs, they were given to me, but I get to choose my programs moving forward. So we have to have both pieces. You don't just open your eyes and go, oh my God, like all of my life is my fault. I'm a horrible person because that's actually not true. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And that will have you close your eyes again. Mm -hmm. And you don't just say, you know, well, I need to fix this. I need to make all of these changes in a, in a way that is not kind to yourself. This is the messy part of healing, but it's the beautiful, amazing. This is what moves us to empowerment. We have to look at things we don't want to see about ourselves And as we do that, like you're saying, that situation, that conversation, that completely changes where you're noticing, oh, my husband isn't a dink 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, he just did something nice. And now I can see it because I don't need that story that helps me keep my eyes closed. Yeah. I like to call this like data collecting. So we're always collecting some bit of data about the world, whether we're aware of it or not. Like, oh, the weather, it's warm outside. So I will wear shorts today, right? That's a bit of data that we collect with our relationships. We're collecting data. How are they treating us every day? You know, do, do we find them attractive? Are we still in love with, I mean, these are just things like you're kind of data collecting, data collecting and checking in. But the idea is when you're feeding the monster, you're actually only collecting the data that would feed the monster. You're not tuning into becoming aware to, because it's actually easier again to the brain science of it. Your mind wants to be right. You want to be right about the data, the beliefs that you have. It's easier. It takes less energy. So the mind is like, no, I already have a way to do this, which is therefore we could call it addiction, familiarity, whatever it is. But ultimately it's requiring less energy 
to think. So therefore you have more energy to live, breathe the mechanics, the actual mechanical aspect of being alive can, you know, use that energy. So if we look at it from this perspective, it makes sense that we want to always be right about what we already believe. So we will collect data that supports that. We watched, um, Lucas and I, that's my husband. If you're not familiar with my husband, he and I watched this documentary about people who believe the earth is flat. And it was very interesting because, you know, through the whole thing, it just became very apparent that these um, people, they call themselves flat earthers, were doing lots of experiments to prove that the earth was flat. And um, there wasn't actually any experiments on the documentary that actually proved that, but they kept saying, oh, well, we'll just need to do the experiment differently. So at no point were they letting the actual results of the experiment in as new information. They continued to feed their old belief, their, their current belief that the earth was flat and they just were making all sorts of reasons well, we'll have to do the experiment this way instead, or this must have been getting in the way of the experiment X, Y, Z, because it would have been way too much effort work and they weren't prepared for it, or there were losses associated with actually changing their beliefs. And so we're watching it the whole time. And I'm like, holy moly, you don't even realize it, but actually keeping your beliefs the same when there's evidence that could support something else takes a lot of energy, but your mind doesn't see it because it's like a second by second machine, right? It's not looking at it. Like we're watching a documentary, seeing like weeks and months of these people's lives. Yes. And so in the moment, the human mind is like, no, protect the belief at all costs because to change would require so much energy, but actually over time they're extending like this mental gymnastic energy. So all of that to say, your mind wants to be right. So you have to give up the need to be right in order to actually change your old beliefs and stop feeding those monsters. That's why, you know, as you're talking about that, that your part of your mind wants to keep the belief. I think it's knows that 98% of the thoughts that we think today, we actually thought yesterday, it's like, it's a little depressing, but it's efficient. (laughs) It's Groundhog's Day over and over again. Yeah. Right. And when we change it, you actually like burn, burn calories, like Mm -hmm. literally is, but you, there's, there's our mind wanting to keep the same beliefs, right? We're on the same programming, but to, to your point of it being exhausting, your body will tell you, you will be drained in that relationship. You will be drained in your life. You will feel you know, no energy, you won't feel fully alive. Like those are good cues that you're holding on to beliefs that are disempowering you and don't serve you anymore. And, and so you can begin to look at those areas where you're not happy and you're not satisfied and things aren't going well. And two things are going to happen to your point about the relationship. You're either going to need to look at it differently Mm-hmm. or you're going to need to do something different about it. Yep. If it is serving you, it could be a great relationship that you're looking at with lens of past pain. I think that's what I'm going through and experiencing right now, or it could be you, it's a terrible relationship and you're looking through it with a lens of past ignoring red flags, Yeah. right? Either way. And, and that's why this isn't prescriptive. Like it's going to mm-hmm. be different for different people. We're not saying, oh, just be more positive. It's a great relationship. You're just looking at it negatively because that won't serve you and is actually 
how lots of people stay in abusive relationships. And we're not saying, you know, the man is automatically a horrible person, which is nope. tends to be, sometimes that can be the narrative. The man right. Well, it's a dance. I mean, it's always a dance, how we show up and how they show up. But if your eyes are open, you will know what to do. And your body is telling you if your mind has been doing mental gymnastics that aren't serving you and they're draining your life, that can be physical pain, but it's absolutely always emotional draining and not feeling empowered. That's why I keep going back to this. Is it empowering or disempowering? Because the circumstances are going to be different for different people, Mm -hmm. but the idea and the concept is going to be the same. It's fascinating because 11 million bits of information are coming into our subconscious every second. We filter into our conscious 40 bits. And so and I think that's even a high estimate. I mean, I've, I, everything that I read is like five plus or minus two. <laughs> like five bits? Yeah. That we can actually um, hold in our conscious awareness at any time. Okay. So we're filtering out a whole, a whole <laughs> ton, so, but you watch it on that documentary flat earth, you watch them filter out everything that's not in alignment with their past Mm -hmm. programming. Oh, that's And and what they want. It it was interesting to bring that full circle because I think it is an important connection. At the end of the documentary, it was kind of, spoiler alerts, if you're going to watch it, it's actually excellent. But at the end, um, there was this moment where they're like, well, what would they lose if they no longer believe this? And they would lose connection because they have, they're a very strong community. People who believe the earth is flat have like a conference and people that, you know, hold the same values and belief structure as them, which is exciting to the mind to be the same as something, because then you're going to be in community. So if they change their beliefs, if their experiments don't work, they are out and then they have to create an entire new community. And we need love, yep. i.e. community, like we need air, water, and food. And, yep. and that's the thing where you have to reparent yourself in these situations because you have to build in love from the inside so that you have the strength to possibly lose it on the outside. Because in your, if you're in that relationship situation where you're opening your eyes, you're looking at patterns that you have that you don't like, and that you want to change. First of all, you need to love yourself. Mm-hmm. And second of all, you need to be able to have the capacity to possibly have that relationship shift or change that you've been trying to get love out of for better or for worse, because that was your programming. So we can only change when the love quotient is, is high enough. This is, this is like how I think about it so that we don't lose that community. And when you are, so I tell people um, all the time, I tell clients, like if you're starving, you're, you're going to look in the dumpster, right? And we don't look at somebody that's eating out of the dumpster and go, oh my gosh, what a, what a terrible human. We go, oh my gosh, they're starving. They're so hungry. And we need to do the same thing with ourselves. If you've been reaching for and leaning on a relationship that isn't serving you, a behavior that isn't serving you, you need to have that compassion with yourself. Like, oh, I was trying to get love there because that's the only place I was finding it. But now, right. And now Mm -hmm. I'm going to be filling myself with love so that I can change those behaviors. Well, this is, I mean, I feel like there should be kind of, um, this little course leading up to turning 18. That's like, okay, so we're, 
maybe it should probably be between like 16 and 25. Let's say these are, let's say between 16 and 25, you're moving from childhood dependency to independency, or, or that's actually what we're designed to be able to do is to move from being dependent to being independent. But what happens is we, and particularly what I think I've noticed from my age growing up, and that I think is still happening is this idea that there is this continued codependence, not in a healthy way, where we're not launched in some way, shape or form. So between 16 and 25, you're supposed to actually come to the knowing that no longer do you require love from XYZ, but you can actually have love inside yourself. And it was always there, by the way, that's where, how you knew that you were, if you were, or weren't getting love from your parents, but you moved, you're supposed to move from this dependent state to an independent state. And what happens if you don't do that is you never, ever learn that you can love yourself, even if those people aren't quote unquote, giving you the love in the same way, because you are no longer dependent on them to live, like to literally be alive. It's like, there's supposed to be a moment or a series of moments that kind of awaken this ability to be independent and to create love in that connection way that we all need for yourself. It's like the idea of when we're, when we're younger, we need food from our parents. When we're older, we feed ourselves, but we love don't, we don't learn. You got to get off the love teat, everybody. Yeah. And it's arrested development, right? Mm -hmm. So you, so part of you get stuck at seven or part of you get stuck at 11 or part of you get stuck at 12 on a, on a side note, I think as humans, this is the ideal. I don't know that any humans do this, Christy. I I think it's by design, but like, we're all hot mess. I'm 20 years late to the party. What does anybody really do it? It was by design. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We were supposed to. Well, I think we do it in, I think we, it's very binary. I, even the way I proposed it as if there's like a switch one day, it's this. And the next day it's this. I think that we all have in some way become independent between the ages of 16 and 25, but whether we have become independent in all the ways we need to be. Yeah. Like actually that's that independence creates the connection you may be longing for because it creates the ability to be authentically yourself, which is what we're all supposed to be to the idea of like, we're all messy and not getting there. Let's take the stipulation off after the age of 18, at some point, hopefully before you pass away, you should be, you know, moving towards some independent ability to love yourself. Because I think it's why when you have, for me, when I had kids, something switched for me because I actually had something dependent upon me. So I, it's like the switch was like, go, it's, these have not been flipped. Like you're going to need to figure this out. Right. Yes. And that's where that happened to really slim all of this down. Because I think particularly when we're kind of trying to narrow this down and, and create some context that maybe there's not just one switch that gets flipped. We have a ton of beliefs one at a time, everybody, like one belief at a time. And, and here's what we could do to make it more so that like, if, if you didn't do this when you were 20 or 30, and I think, I think it was young psychologically said about 30, right. We have our old programs. Uh, they stop when we're 18, we move out of the house ish, you know, for most people. And then we try them on like 18 to 30, we're, we're trying 
our codependency and we're trying our addictions to anger and we're trying to isolate ourselves and be, you know, do all the attachment styles, right? We're our anxious mm-hmm. attachment or our, you know, avoidant attachment, right? We're trying it all out, all of our beautiful junk we got as kids. And around, <laughs> Does this around, still work in the real world? <laughs> and around 30, we we have these moments where we're like, okay, that's not serving me anymore. And and but that's also a generalization. It can be much earlier or much later. It's and when I think it when it becomes painful, it's like when it becomes too pain, painful anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes. Pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. You can have a money, you can be grown up, right? You can grow up around money, meaning you self-parent, you, you become independent around money and be horrible and have arrested development around relationships or yeah. vice versa. And life is always leading you. So that's this amazing, wonderful thing that life is always leading you by your feelings and by (laughs) these things that are triggering us. A trigger is just this beautiful invitation to change things from our past where we have arrested development. We need to go reparent. Yep. That seven-year-old, we need to go reparent. That 12-year-old, that 25-year-old. So this is this is a natural progression. And if we are actively fighting it, that's what you're talking about. The gymnastics, the mental gymnastics. Life is constantly showing you, but the earth is round. No, nope, <laughs> round. And life's going to be like constantly, the earth is round, the earth is round, the earth is round. And you have to constantly fight it in order to keep those old beliefs by feeding those thought monsters, or you have to do the scary, courageous thing of reparenting to, to get the life that you want. Well, and honestly, like sometimes people are like, well, how do I know? Like, where do I start? You say you have all these beliefs and it's like, what's your pain point? Like, where is the pain at in your life? And, and maybe you want to start with something smaller to practice on. It's not like your huge pain point. Like if you're in kind of a relationship that doesn't feel like it's going somewhere, maybe you don't start with that. You figure out why you're, you know, not asking for a raise at work. You, you pick something that you have the capacity for. Cause again, it's going to require a different amount of energy, at least on the front end and you identify it. So you're like, okay, cool. Well, what kind of thoughts are backing this up? What kind of thoughts am I looking around going, oh, yep, that proves it. Oh, yep, that proves it. Notice them. Those are the little monsters so that you can realize how you can start cutting off their supply. And the way to do that is actually just to start looking for things or creating things that reinforce the opposite. So if you think that you aren't worth being paid more, you're going to show up at your job every day and you're going to go, oh, yeah, so my boss is sending me an email. And it seems like they're not happy with my performance. That's why I'm not getting a raise. You're going to look for all these little things. Okay, well, I want a raise. I would like to make more money. So instead of reinforcing all of these things, whether they really are existent in existence, maybe you're on a performance review at work, right? That would really solidify that belief that you have. It's like, okay, so I actually want to believe that I am good enough and worthy of a pay raise. So where are all the ways? Well, look at me. Gosh, I got here. I get here 15 minutes early every day so I can get myself set up. Look at me. That's amazing. I'm going to really reinforce that I do that. I'm incredible. This is the self-love and the parenting piece, but you're actually actively deciding to not nourish that old belief system anymore so that it can shrink and go away. And you can actually find the areas to feed what you want to be and believe. That's the, 
we're humans. We get to think about our thoughts. Like you actually have this capacity. And are there going to be fits and starts where some days you're like, oh crap, I've been feeding that belief for like the last 24 hours. Cool. Okay, sweet. Well, I'm just going to stop doing that again. That's going to happen. It's okay. You're allowed to not be like amazing at belief change. And the more you do it, the more you practice, the better you get. You'd be like, oh yeah, I don't feed that anymore. Of course not. I do this. And then guess what? Your mind's like, Oh, is this what we're looking for now? Okay, cool. Let me just help you out then. Your mind gets on board. That subconscious part's like, seems like conscious Christy really would like to see more bits of data related to these things. So then that's what it brings to your conscious awareness instead of it just showing you what it thinks you already want to know. It's like, we have to realize if, if 11 million bits are coming and we have a, we're holding a little magnifying glass and of all the 11 million bits, we only see five. We have to realize our hand is holding the magnifying glass and we can move it over. If what we're seeing is not serving us, that we have the capacity to see what serves us, that I am doing a good job, that I am loved, that change is possible, that there are different thoughts. And even if they're not familiar, and even if you didn't grow up thinking them, as you say, I'm choosing to think differently, they will show up. The answers and the solutions will show up. It's this idea. To me, the biggest thing is when a problem comes, do you have a mindset that says I'm doomed? Or do you have a mindset that says, okay, there's a problem. A solution is going to happen. I love it. I got to interject this, Serena, sorry to cut you off there. I just read a book called chatter by a gentleman named Ethan cross. And it was all about the, our internal dialogue. And, um, one of the things he mentioned in there is the, so you spoke earlier about that idea of an adrenaline hit, right. And then we can be addicted to that. So really it comes down to if that adrenaline hit is good or bad comes down to whether we think we're being threatened which would be an overreaction potentially, unless there's like a tiger or something, an overreaction of the nervous system. We could have the same experience and we could think of it as a challenge and it's a different physiological reaction in the body because it's not, it it just happens differently. So to exactly what you're saying, am I being threatened or in my mindset, am I thinking of this as a challenge, something I can get through? So like, oh my God, I don't have enough food. I'm going to die or, oh, we don't have enough food. I wonder how we could get more same experience. One's a threat and one's held as a challenge. And the one that's a challenge, your body will, and your mind will naturally work through or find solutions to. And the other one will actually put fight, flight, freeze you and stop you. Like, and it goes to exactly what you were just saying. And to me, that's the biggest, that's the biggest switch that leads to growth and healing under kind of under everything else is there's a challenge right now. There's pain right now, mm-hmm. which means there's an opportunity, opportunity for change, an opportunity for growth and an opportunity for me to get what I want. And, and that moving that. So I have the possibility to even feed something else. Yep. So we have to have that as our, as our set point, there's a challenge. Yes. What does the challenge mean? And when we change the meaning, we change the hormone chemical, uh, cocktail. Probably how it, 
and how it communicates with your mitochondria, right? It's probably a different, a whole different story that it shows up with. It's like, knock, knock, knock. By the way, we're preparing for overcoming a challenge versus like, knock, knock, knock. We're all going to die, <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. Isn't it crazy that like, that's, that's how our brains work. And it's this dialogue, like you're saying, when you begin to take ownership, my hand is holding the, the magnifying glass. My mind gets to, to be the boss. This is empowerment. This is when I'm the adult. I'm no longer a kid. I'm the one that gets to choose who I feed. I'm the one that gets to choose what I say in my mind. I'm the one that gets to choose what I focus on. That is empowerment. And you can overcome any challenge when you have that. And any words that aren't empowering you, that's what you need to be aware of thinking about and going, okay, that needs to go. Anything that says, oh, I'm stuck or, oh, I just can't do this or, oh, nothing works out for me. We have the power. This is empowerment to be able to know that any challenge also has a solution. And also it's a heck of a lot easier to notice this in somebody else than yourself. We're designed that way. We are literally designed that way to be able to reframe somebody else's thoughts or beliefs easier than our own. And that's where I offer the idea that somehow you have to slow all this down. If you're not well-practiced in this, like this is what Serena and I do, like we can do this in our own minds. We can do this in other people's because this is just kind of what we live, eat, breathe, sleep, the whole deal. But because we know it's much easier to do it externally rather than internally, we realize we have to start kind of like having a framework of separating ourselves from our problems, creating a bit of distance. I call it slowing down, whether that be putting things in a journal, hiring somebody to work with, um, actually like writing down a sentence and like contemplating it and giving yourself time with it. It's like we have to create ourselves that self-coach in us and that space to separate yourself from the problem. It's only in that space that you have the opportunity to notice the monster that the monster that you're feeding versus the one that you, you know, where you'd like to go and what you'd like to nourish instead. So I'm way, way fired up about this because we all have this capacity. We just have to wake it up if we're not already using it. Yeah, absolutely. And figuring out what works for you. You know, we had, um, a guest. And she said, Annie Francoeur. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Did a bath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And that was where she slowed down. And so when we're, when we do hypnosis or an alpha theta brainwave state, the slower the brainwave slate state, the more capacity you have to evaluate and separate from your, your, your thoughts from you, that you have more of an observer mind. So in a bath, some people do it when they're walking meditation, 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 all the meditation people. (laughs) I think that was our, by, that was by design, what, what gets us into that. Right. And when we do it, we do it with hypnosis um, for people in the therapeutic setting, the coaching setting, but when you can separate yourself from your thoughts, it's, it's huge. So you have to understand there is a solution and then see what works for you to find that solution. Be open to slowing down your mind enough to finding that solution. And that also means you don't have to figure it out today right. with the conversations because it is Groundhog's Day and you'll get an opportunity with your kids 
tomorrow again <laughs> when they lose their minds and they're late for school. And then you'll get an opportunity with your spouse again when they, you know, leave their clothes on the floor or whatever they do or hurt you or dismiss you, right? You'll get an opportunity at work again. Mm-hmm. The practice is what do you need to do in your life to slow down to receive solutions? And then you'll have plenty of practice. That's not a threat. It's a challenge, everybody. That's something that is going to grow you. And never forget, it's really important to remember that all of this takes energy, right? Because it's less energy to keep believing what you believe in this moment right now. So sometimes you might just need a nap before you're ready to do this. You might have to have power yourself up with some food. Remember to care for yourself in a way that you have the capacity to go, oh yeah, I have a little, that's what meditation is going to empty out the junk and it's going to create more energy for you. P.S. Meditate. Um, produces, um, actually gets rid of cortisol, mm-hmm. detoxes you and then produces your mitochondria producing happy hormones when you meditate. So it's a good thing. So then you have capacity to do these other things. You actually have the energy to change. So again, sometimes you don't have the energy and that's okay then you create the energy and then you create the change. And I think as people are listening, you already know, you're already being led, you're already seeing, you're already, we're confirming something you're already knowing and and just hopefully reinforcing and encouraging you to do it. You know, you should be doing this or that and you, and you, you're feeling like you need to change this or that. So this is just the big, you know, permission slip and encouragement that, yeah, slow down, understand that you can be empowered. I mean, because at the, bo- the end of the day, you wanted change. Yeah. So like, okay, here, here's how we change. <laughs> you're like, oh crap, you know, whatever you've been feeling like already that you are needing to do, you're right. You need to do it. hundred percent. And also when we have these conversations, we normalize that this is happening within all of us as humans. There's nothing wrong with you. If you have negative beliefs and you're, you have a monster that you've been feeding, like that's actually like, welcome to humanity. (laughs) We all have it. So we want to normalize that as well, because once you normalize it again, that's part of that self-parenting and self-love, then you have more energy to change. So it's great to be back. It was so fun to record this conversation with you today, Serena. Yes. I'm, I'm really excited. It is. It's good. Thank you for listening to the Whole Point podcast. If you want to drop a comment, you can go to our Instagram page, comment on the post about this particular episode. If you know somebody who really could benefit from having this conversation normalized, some permission to change, or even understanding of what that monster might be, send this to them. Spread the love. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. Leave us a review. Subscribe so more people can find us. And if you want more information about me or Christy, there's a link to both of our websites in the show notes. And we'll see you next time. Bye.